Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson continues a series titled The Exodus with part two, The Move. God told Moses to tell the Israelites to move on. How would you respond if God told you it's time to move on? Is it time to leave here and go there? If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, we are in a series entitled The Exodus. And we're, we're walking through the story of Moses and the story of the children of Israel as they leave Egypt and they begin to pursue the promised land. And we're kind of weaving throughout the story trying to pull out some truths and some principles that can help us very practically today and how we can apply the story here to our own life. And as we mentioned last week, the story of the Exodus really is a story of freedom, specifically for the Israelites, but universally for all of mankind. And last week we talked about the call and the call's critical. It really begins the whole process. This morning I wanna talk about the move. Because what's interesting is once you answer the call, it's gonna require a move. The call always requires movement. Our foundational passage is chapter 14, verse 15. We'll actually look at a variety of of passages this morning, but this is kind of the, the foundational part of it. 14, 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. There was a point where God said, Okay, it's time to move on. To help kind of illustrate and help us understand and get a picture of what I want to talk about this morning, I've got a visual up here that you can see. Uh, I'm actually stepping into another episode of Low Budget Theater here. Okay, it's been a while. But it's not only Low Budget Theater this morning, it's also Low Tech Theater. I'm stepping out of the digital world and stepping back into the analog world a little bit here. But this is going to help us have an image of what I want to try to communicate this morning. This sign says here, that sign says there. So this occupies the space of here, and all of this occupies the space of there. So when we talk about from here to there, we've got to ask a couple of questions. One is, how do I get from here to there? Why would I want to move from here to there? What is it about here that would compel me to want to leave? And what is it about there that would compel me to want to go? Those are a few things that we're going to talk about this morning. As we talk about the move, we're really talking about moving from here to there. So we have to examine our here's and we have to investigate the there's and discover why we should want to move from here to there. So in the Exodus, we see at least three very significant moves. The first one's found in chapter two. And it's a move that we're gonna see is from the palace to Midian. Look in chapter two, verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. 
But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. If you read through the lines, between the lines, to me, I think Moses knew he was different. I think Moses knew he wasn't really an Egyptian. I think Moses knew he really didn't fit in the palace. I think there was something inside of him that helped him identify more with the Israelites than he did even with the Egyptians. He was living in the palace, but he just knew it wasn't the right fit. I think that's really what led to him defending the Israelite over the Egyptian. But we see in verse 15 that Moses flees to Midian to get away from the Pharaoh. Now, we have no idea why he went to Midian, how he ended up in Midian. The text doesn't tell us how or why he got there. But if you read through the story, I think it becomes pretty obvious that it's all about God's providence. God is the one that led him to Midian. It's because he connects with this man named Jethro. In fact, Jethro becomes his father-in-law. But Jethro was a priest. He was a God-fearer. He was from a Kenite ancestry, and the Kenites were also children of Abraham. There was, a, there was a, a, a relationship, if you will, between the Israelites and the Canaanites. There was a connection. There was a friendliness between these two uh, peoples. Many scholars actually think that Jethro was a priest of Yahweh, a priest of Jehovah. So most likely what happened when Moses gets to Midian, gets connected with this priest, Jethro, that Jethro's the one that really begins to help Moses understand the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, begins to talk to him about what worshiping this God's all about. He becomes the priest. He begins to mentor, if you will, Moses. So he begins to understand at a deeper level who God is and what's going on in, in the worship of Yahweh. So for Moses, this Midian became a place of healing, of preparation, of maturing, and a place of real worship as he began to understand what it means to worship. So for him, Midian was a time where it rewired him from an Egyptian mindset to begin to wire him for this God-fearer mindset. The second move that we see is in chapters three and four. And now this is a move from Midian to Egypt. We see this beginning here in chapter three, verse one. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, if you flip over to chapter four, verse 18, we pick it up, and now this is after the burning bush experience, after the call that we dealt with last week in verse 18. It says, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them were still alive. And Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. Now we see Moses, he's tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And at this point, Moses has been in Midian for 40 years. And during these years, he has gotten married. He's had at least two sons. He's got a really good job. He's got a great relationship with his father-in-law. Life is great. Life is easy. Life is comfortable. And then God's call comes. And God appears to the bush and begins to shake everything. And God's call was so powerful to Moses that it propelled him to want to leave Midian and go back to Egypt. Now he's ready to fulfill the call of God. 
If you remember back in chapter two, when he kills the Egyptian, that was a flesh reaction. That was premeditated murder. When you read that text, it said he looked, make sure nobody's watching, and he killed him, and then he went and hit him in the sand. It was a flesh reaction. But what we see in Moses is a trait, and that was to be a defender. He was a defender. We see that when he defends the Israelite from the Egyptian. We see that when he defends these ladies at the well in Midian, when the shepherds come against them, he defends the ladies against the shepherds. We see it obviously when he defends the Israelites against Pharaoh and the oppression of Egypt. But it was raw and it was in the flesh. So it's at Midian where he spends time in Midian where God is able to shape that and mold that and mature that and get that under God's control. So in Midian for Moses, it became this time of preparation and maturity and worship and preparing him so that he's ready now to go do the call that God has asked him to fulfill. Which leads us to the third move, which we see in chapter four, chapter five, and then in chapter 12. And that's the move from Egypt to the edge of the desert. Let's look at that in chapter four, verse 29. At this point, Moses is in Egypt now. And it said, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. Chapter five, verse one, after Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now flip over to chapter 12. We'll pick it up in verse 31. Now this is after all the plagues. This is after that last straw, if you will, of the firstborn being killed. It's after all that has taken place. Finally, even after, after Pharaoh said, no, I'm not gonna let him go. Chapter 12, verse 31, we pick it up. It said, now finally during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up. Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. What we see taking place here is after all the plagues, after the death of the firstborn, finally Pharaoh says, go. So they leave the oppression of Egypt. They leave the bondage of Egypt and the oppression of Pharaoh. And what's really cool is the Egyptians give them all their stuff. In verse 36, it says that God made them favorably disposed. God showed favor on the Israelites and God caused the Egyptians to show favor. It's the same thing we talked about in the Daniel plan a couple of weeks ago. God had them show favor to them, so they just throw them their gold and their silver and their clothing, so they were there with literally little and nothing as laborers, as slaves, and they leave with all of this stuff, with God's blessing. So these are the three significant moves that we see in this part of the Exodus. 
But since our goal this morning is to apply that, to see how this relates to us, I believe each of these moves have very practical application for us this morning. I think each move represents a move that we need to make, should make, and maybe for some need to make today. The first one, the move from the palace to Midian, for us represents a move from the world to worship. It's a move from the world to worship. For me, this represents an awakening, a time when we realize the world has nothing to offer me, that the world has nothing of value that I should long for, that the world cannot bring me the fulfillment that I'm longing for. The world cannot offer me anything that I desire, cannot give me anything that I really want. For Moses, it was a move from Egypt to Midian. It was a move from Pharaoh to Jethro. And for us, it's the same kind of move. For Moses, if you remember, it was a move from what's going on in the palace and all the wealth and the worldliness and the ungodliness that Egypt and the Pharaoh could offer to this intimate encounter relationship with the priest, with Jethro, where he began to understand who the God of Yahweh is. For us, it's a move from the world to worship. It's an opportunity for us to understand who their enemy really is and what the world really does have to offer. It's an opportunity for us to escape the enemy's pursuit, just like Moses did, and to leave the world's lure and come into communion with our priest, with our high priest, who is Jesus Christ. Where we come into connection and union and we begin to understand who he is, what he has done for us. And it's in that time of communion and worship that he begins to prepare us and mature us and equip us and to heal us and to remove what once used to be that worldly mindset moving us into a mindset of worship. It's a move from the world to worship. It may be a move that some of us need to make this morning. This next move, though, from Midian to Egypt is a move from comfort to calling. It's a move from our comfort to our calling. Remember, Moses had a great life in Midian. And you may be thinking right now, man, my here, my here right now is great. I have a great family, I have a great life, I've got a great job, I've got plenty of money, I've got vacation, I've got, man, it's just, everything is going great. So why would I want to leave here and go there? The idea of a calling is as followers of Christ, we have a greater calling than comfort. And God's going to move us out of our comfort zone. Now, there's nothing wrong with being in comfort because sometimes in Midian and in comfort, that's where God has been able to heal us and to mature us and to equip us and get us ready for the calling. But Midian is a temporary location. For Moses, Midian was a temporary location and comfort for us as a believer is a temporary location. We're never meant to stay there. Now, worship, Midian and worship is, is permanent. Our worship with the priest is a permanent situation, but this lifestyle of comfort for us is a temporary location. 
Because God's going to place a call on our life and it's going to cause us to move from comfort to calling because when we answer the call, that is going to require and involve some discomfort, (laughs) some inconvenience, some pain, some struggle, some battles. That's why many people will not step into the calling that God has on their life because they don't want to pay the price. But unfortunately, they also miss out on the reward of following God's call. Well, here's a third move. Moving from Egypt to to the desert for us is a move from bondage to freedom. For us, it represents this move of going from bondage into freedom, just like the Israelites who left the bondage of Pharaoh and left the bondage of Egypt and they moved toward their freedom. The same is true for us. And this may take a variety of forms for some of us. For some, it may be bondage to sin. We're still in the bondage of sin. We've never given our life to Jesus Christ. There may be some in this place this morning. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never come to that place where you've realized that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And when he did, he took my place. And so what I have to do is receive his forgiveness or receive that sacrifice and say, yes, I give my life to Jesus Christ. And that may be what some people need to do today. They need to release themselves from the bondage of sin and move to freedom. For others, it may be a different kind of bondage. It may be a bondage to some external addiction that you've not been able to break. And what God's calling you to move from is to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive that power and he gives us the strength to break strongholds. And so we may need to break from that here into our freedom and release from those addictions. For some, it might be more of a a bondage to internal emotions. Maybe there's some here that you're held bondage to anger. You're held captive to revenge, to unforgiveness, to bitterness, to hatred. There's something on the inside of you that just has gripped you. And maybe this morning you need to step into freedom and let the Spirit of God release that anger and that bitterness from you. Maybe today, one of these three moves applies to you. When I was in eighth grade, I had to make what I consider, especially at that time of of life, a very traumatic move. I was living in Amarillo, and the week after my last basketball game, my dad got a new job and transferred us, and we moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, we were living in, in Amarillo, and I loved Amarillo. My here was great. I had friends, I had a good church, I was involved in sports and loved doing the sports, everything was great. And so in eighth grade, a very hard time anyway, moves me to Las Vegas, Nevada. And even back in that day, Las Vegas was a hard place to live. People weren't friendly like they were in Texas, especially in eighth grade. And so I had no friends. Nothing was going on early on. I ended up going to uh, Cashman Junior High. What a name for a Las Vegas school, right? Cash man. The school is about three times bigger than the school I went to in Amarillo. And the cafeteria was like a food court, even before 
there were really food courts. It was like six or seven windows that you would go to and just a big open place with all these tables and stuff. And I was so intimidated. I was so insecure. I had no friends. I didn't know what was going on. Didn't want to be there. I, had, I didn't have a clue what to do. I had no idea what to order or how to order lunch. And so I was scared to order. So I never ate lunch. Here's what I did. When our class was dismissed, I actually had to go through the cafeteria. I'd go all the way through the cafeteria. I'd go a back hallway back there in the school, go into the boys' restroom, the last stall, sit down, and read a book the entire lunch period. Don't you feel sorry for me? <laughs> I did that for several weeks, the entire lunch period. Sat there and would read a book. Obviously, that, that wasn't fun. I kind of got tired of that, but I didn't know really what to do. One day... I don't know why I had noticed it sooner. When I'd walked through the cafeteria, there were doors here on the side that had windows. And one day I looked out there and realized that out there on the, the playground on the blacktop, guys were playing basketball. There were two different games going on, just a bunch of guys out there playing basketball. I said, man, I'd much rather go watch basketball than go in the bathroom and read a book. So I just went out there, wasn't even expecting to get to play. I was just going to go out there and just watch these guys play basketball. Well, fortunately that day, there was one last. They said, hey, do you want to come play some basketball? I said, sure. So I just started playing basketball. Well, that was my deal. I was in heaven again. And so I start to make some friends and I'm playing basketball and it's really cool. And one thing that would happen with all these guys is they would play for about three-fourths of the lunch period. There seven or eight, nine minutes left. They would dart into the cafeteria. They would order and just grab something and just scarf it down real quick before they had to go to class. So now I've got some friends. I can ask them how to order. I can go behind them. I've figured out how to do all this stuff, and now I'm able to order food, and now I'm just eating. I'm playing basketball and eating, and I move from the restroom to the lunchroom. <laughs> I finally made the move from here to there. But there were three things that had to happen in me. There were three dynamics that I had to be committed to, things that had to happen in me to make the move from here to there. And it's the same three things that have to happen in your heart and in your spirit to get you to move from your here to there. And the first thing is there has to be a discontent with here. You have to be discontent with your here. You have to understand that here is where I no longer want to be. I have to become discontent with the world, that I no longer desire what the world has to offer me. It's no longer giving me what I thought it would give me. I had to become discontent with my comfort. As nice as it may be and as comfortable as it may be, I get to that place where I'm no longer content just to go through life comfortable. I've got to become discontent in this bondage. I'm sick and tired of being held captive to this thing. Now, your discontentment might be very mild because your here might be great. <laughs> it may be a great here, but God's spirit is beginning to, to spur and to stir you, to make you discontent because he's calling you to something. Your here may be awful and you have to become discontent, but that has to be coupled with the other and that is a desire for there. Not only can I be discontent with my here, I have to desire there. I have to understand that it's there that I'm going to find fulfillment and peace and hope and joy. It's there that God is calling me to. It's there that God has for me. Not only can I be discontent with the world, but I have to have a desire to worship God. Just like the psalmist said that like 
I thirst like that deer for streams of living water. When can I go and meet? I have to have this thirst to want to meet with my priest, with my father for worship. It's not enough to be discontent with comfort. I have to have a desire to fulfill God's calling in my life. It's not enough to be discontent with bondage. I have to have a longing and a desire for freedom. Oh, God, I want to be set free from this. But the third is a determination to get from here to there. I have to have an unwavering determination because here's the deal. In between here and there is all kind of stuff. All kind of roadblocks, all kinds of trouble and battles and obstacles. For Moses, it was the Pharaoh, it was the Egyptians. At times, it was even the Israelites. It was his own fear and his sense of inadequacy that he had to fight going from here to there. And the same thing is true for us because we have an enemy. And our enemy wants to keep us here. Our enemy wants to keep us in the world, consumed by the world. The enemy wants to keep us in comfort. The enemy wants to keep us in bondage. So when we begin to feel the calling to move to there, the enemy's gonna do everything he can to block our path. He's gonna make it as difficult as he possibly can to block our path. So we have to have a determination that says, I don't care what it takes. I am so sick of here and I'm so longing for there that I'm going to move there. So the question this morning is do you have an urge to move this morning? Maybe none of these three movements really speak to you this morning. Maybe you've already done these. You've already made these moves There are a lot of other moves that maybe God's spirit would speak to us this morning. Maybe it's a move from complacency to desperation. You've become complacent in your walk with Christ. You've become complacent, as it says in Revelation, I have no need for God. I'm wealthy. I have everything I need. I don't have need for God. I'm afraid that the American church is becoming more and more complacent, thinking we don't need God. Maybe for us, we need to move from complacency to desperation. One reason maybe America's not seeing a great awakening revival is because we've become very complacent. You see see revival happening in other other countries. I read just the other day that 100,000 Rwandans were baptized in one day, in one event. God was moving so greatly. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, one million Muslims in the Middle East have come to Christ. There's a desperation And maybe for you personally, God's calling you to move away from this complacency to move into desperation. Maybe for some, it's to move from the front to the back. Kind of like John the Baptist, if you remember his story. He's in the front, he's the headline, he's preparing the way for Jesus Christ, gathering crowds, but Jesus comes on the scene and he says, now it's time, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. He begins to move all of his disciples and all of his followers to Jesus. And he takes the back seat. I heard an interview uh, this past week, and they were talking about Patrick Mahomes, who's a quarterback for Kansas City Chiefs, just won the Super Bowl. 
and Andy Reid, who's the coach, they were talking about this whole dynamic of winning the Super Bowl. Both Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes gave huge props and great credit to Alex Smith for the win in the Super Bowl. Alex Smith was the previous quarterback for Kansas City. They contributed the winning culture to Kansas City, to Alex Smith. But even more importantly, they both said, Patrick and Andy both said that when, when uh, Patrick was drafted, Alex Smith poured everything he knew into Patrick Mahomes. He mentored him, he taught him, he led him, everything he knew about being a professional football player, yada, yada, he just, he poured into Mahomes. But what's really cool is Alex Smith did that knowing Mahomes was gonna take his place. <laughs> he mentored and invested in the person knowing that person was gonna take his job. He did it anyway. What a great testimony of moving from the front to the back. Maybe God's calling you this morning. It's time to step back and maybe it's time for me to mentor some others. Maybe it's time for me to, to disciple some others. They can step up and provide leadership. Maybe it's a move from the back to the front. Maybe God's calling you to step up and take some leadership. Maybe it's a call that James talks about from hearing to doing. You've been hearing a lot, but now God's calling you to step out and do something. Maybe it's a calling from getting out of the stands and getting onto the field. Maybe you've been in the stands and man, you've been clapping for everybody. You're excited about what God's doing in other people's life and you're, you're rooting them on. But maybe God's saying, hey, it's time to step on the field yourself and do those deals. I don't, I don't know, it could be a variety of moves. What I'm gonna ask today for you is, is God calling you to move? Are you presently in a here that God now is stirring in you saying, it's time to move there. Even if your here's good, God may be calling you to an even better there. Maybe you're here is bad. It's full of bondage. God's moving you here. My prayer is that we would heed what God tells Moses in chapter 14, verse 15, when he tells the Israelites, it's time to move on. If God's telling you it's time to move, I pray you'd answer the call this morning. Would you bow with me? Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.